Hang on. Hang on. Halt. Welcome to This My PA Podcast. Just a quick mailbag segment. We've got a voicemail from former guest of the pod and future guest of the pod, Marianne McTrow. Hey, Greg. Marianne from Canada. I just listened to episode 93, When the Lights Come On, and um, I have some things to say. First, on politeness. Uh, don't forget that you have some ukulele players to wrangle for an upcoming episode. I forgot to remind you about that on Facebook, and I keep forgetting, so now that I'm thinking of it, uh, we need wrangling. Second thing, I checked out Tim's, uh, your guest Tim's models and dioramas, and they're really super awesome. Um, if you or your listeners like that sort of um, model making and kit bashing, I have a couple of contemporary artists that make fantastic similar work. Uh, the first is Kim Adams, A-D-A-M-S, and the second is Jude Griebel, G-R-I-E-B-E-L. Um, Jude and his brother are actually the, the proprietors of the Museum of Fear and Wonder in Alberta, and it's an absolutely fantastic museum. Uh, it's, it's fearful and um, wonderful. Uh, regarding ukulele covers, I did enjoy that one that you played. Um, I really like the, the kind of rhythm that, that um, he was using. Uh, but I'm going to say that type of vocal singing affectation really makes me cringe super hard. Um, I, like, no offense to you who enjoy that type of singing, but, oh, my God, it makes me, um, yeah, you should just see my face. Anyway, great podcast. I'm behind, but I'm catching up, and I'm looking forward to listening to future ones. Thanks for calling in, Marianne. Anybody can leave us a voicemail at 224-801-2930. And on with the show. Am I awake? What time is it? When I get through this day, can someone tell me how? Now, am I 
Welcome to This Might Be A Podcast, the song by song podcast about the greatest band of all time. They might be giants. I'm your host, Greg Simpson, and I am here with a dude who uh, has been in cahoots with They Might Be Giants in a way. Uh, You'll see what I'm talking about. His name's Matt Flood. Yes, that's his real name. And we're going to talk about Am I Awake off of the Indestructible Object EP. Mr. Flood, uh, happy 30th anniversary. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh, I mean, I yeah, we were talking on Facebook, probably related to punk news stuff, maybe. Like, I don't know when we became friends on Facebook, but it was a long time ago, right? Feels like a, quite a long time at this point. Yeah. I don't know if it was just org-related stuff. I mean, I don't, were, were you a fester? Are you a fester? Yeah, I was there, um, fest, I want to say seven through, wow, 14 or 15, missing one or two in the middle there somewhere. What was the last one? I mean, that was pretty recently, right? I was the uh, whatever one that against me headlined maybe two years ago. Well, I mean, what year are they on now? I mean, assuming it happens in October, do they hit twenty yet? I think Wait, maybe no. this year was twenty or last year was twenty. <clears throat> yeah. So I was like one of those guys who I mean I've written for Punk News since two thousand two, and like. I was always a guy. I don't know. I mean, how? I mean, you you go on punk news, or did you used to? <laughs> That's what I, most I used say. to quite a bit. Um, it was it was like that Back when, when it was like cool. vinyl, when vinyl collective was like the big thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And were you a part of the org summit crew as well? I was not, but I know, I know most of those kids. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I wasn't either. I think. I don't know. It seemed like something that that you couldn't be actual punk news staff to be in it i I remember being in a facebook group one time that was like yeah the org summit like after the actual site or whatever the hell that was like a mess uh i don't know it was just like a very crude kind of message board where all those guys would talk guys and gals and um all those tattooed hot water music loving folks and um yeah so i ended up in this facebook group at some point i can't remember i think someone invited me and I joined it, and I felt like like all they were doing was bashing on the current punk news, which was like six years ago. And I feel like it's, <laughs> I feel like we're back on an up uptick. There's been like a big wave of fresh staff that's come in, and like the only dinosaurs hanging around are like me, and then the guys that started the site, Adam, and he's mostly focused on some party. Are you aware of some party? I should give a shout out to Adam White. Do you know his I, Canadian I, newsletter? I'll have to check that out. Yeah, some party. Uh, is it dot what? Okay, hold on. I should promote him. He he deals with all my tech bullshit. Um, <clears throat> I mean, he's the one that helps me. Like today, I was asking if I put parentheses in the RSS code uh, for parentheses. She was a hotel detective is that gonna fuck up the code because i'm like i don't know all i do is copy paste and change like the mp3 name and the length of the file and the the size of the file I'm like are parentheses gonna fuck it up please i need to post this by 1 p.m and then he uh helps me so shout out to adam white uh it's some party which is like do you know what band that's a reference to canadian 
I'm zoning on that right now. Org Cork, uh, Constantine's. Oh, okay, the yeah. Constantine's, like Adam's favorite band. So someparty.ca, Canadian. You can subscribe to the newsletter. It's a website and a newsletter. And very well done, because Adam White has been doing um, music journalism stuff since about since 99 when punk news started and then i i hopped on 2002 thanks to scott heisel my best midwestern co-host so let's talk about what you do because i teased it four minutes ago that uh you have been in cahoots which makes it sound evil but which i like uh with they might be giants and you're dude that do you have john flansburg's number in your phone I do. Um, he's only called yep. once, and I missed the phone call. And the um, the the voicemail that I answered to was about him. Um, I missed a show at the. Um, they were when, when they did the free shows at the casino in Connecticut. I had to go to a funeral, and I missed it. And he uh. let me know. He let me know that I missed parting with his mom at the show, and that she was upset that I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> See, that sounds pretty cool. If Flansburg wants you to, he's introducing you to his parents. <laughs> it's like, we've hit that stage of the relationship yeah yeah right um so tell the people about um how you have been in business with uh they might be giants well um must have been like probably around 2004 or 5 we started um we switched over from being a cd label to a straight vinyl label we started mainly. Well, wait, did I even say the name? I didn't even. I just teased it enough. I didn't even say the name of your record label. Uh, we're Asbestos Records. Uh, we've been around since '96 uh, ish. Nice. Um, yeah, and around like the mid 2000s, we we started doing some some vinyl projects, mainly for um, a bunch of uh, Jeff Rosenstock's bands, which made us uh, punk news darlings at the time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We, Bond the music yeah. industry. What what else? We did. Where are you uh, putting out? We we uh, around that time we were doing uh, ASOB. We did the some of the bomb the music industry stuff. We, um, we did a bunch of the Tree Fort records that they were pretty big on punk news for a while. Oh yeah yeah yeah, I forgot about them. So then we nice. we started um, we started doing like vinyl reissues. We were kind of like, oh, there's all this cool old stuff that we loved from the '90s that never came out of vinyl. Uh, we st- I think the first record we did was uh, Mustard Plug's first record. And, oh um, nice, Big Daddy Multitude, or was there one yeah. before that? Big day, yeah, big- yeah, I saw you also had some Moonska. Was that like a sticker or something? I was just showing my wife uh, the Asbestos Records, which I spell Asbestos wrong every time. Um, I just can't spell that word. But it, it, you know, it'll pop up. Did you mean? So what? What uh, was that a sticker that Moonska won? Because I saw that, I was like, dude, blast from the past. Oh uh, no, we did. Uh, uh, Buck had uh, had licensed us the logo, so we we reprinted the uh, the old Moonska shirts. We were selling those for a while. Nice. Yeah, was Moonska, uh, was that absorbed by, like, well, because then there was Dill as well that, that, that Mike Park then just you know, kind of just became Asian man. Did Moonska turn into something else or kind of like team up and become something else? No, um, I guess there was like, um, if I'm remembering correctly, there was there was this that point where a whole bunch of big indie distributors, like I think it was Rots Records was from Chicago, I think was one of their big ones and a couple other ones mm-hmm. went under um you know owing them a shit ton of, shit ton of money yeah. and then they were kind of just crushed by that um yeah yeah uh, uh bucket came back with megalith a few years after that after moon was done uh. label that was um 
you know, pr primarily ska focused. So, um, yeah, but, you know, we grew up on all the Moon stuff, so we started going through the Moon ska catalog. We did some Slackers records and the Pie Tasters and Edna's Gold nice. and all that stuff. Nice. And then, um, so, like, one day it dawned on me, I'm like, what about all these major label records that hadn't ever come out in vinyl? And this was, um, you know, a couple of years before Record Store Day slash uh, everything coming out on vinyl. So we called yeah. up um, we called up Warner, and we were like, hey, we want to do vinyl for all the They Might Be Giants records that didn't come out. So we, we started off with... Um, so Electra was because Electra, it's it's very confusing with all the record labels because there's really only like three major labels, right? That have all their was Electra's own thing that then got bought out. No, it was uh, it was there was like the Wea label, which was Warner Electra Atlantic, I believe. Uh, yeah, and it yes. was like the Warner label group, and that um, so and then it's all that stuff now is through Rhino, which is like their kind of like reissue section sort of deal like their back catalog power thing and uh mm -hmm. we, we had called up over there and we were like hey you know we'd love to do these records that you know are pretty much out of print and um and they were like yeah sure so we licensed um you know factory showroom and john henry first and then we uh, went back and got uh, flood and apollo yeah, God, Apollo, man. Yeah, I, that's that's one I'd consider owning on two formats. I'm one of those guys that, like, I primarily buy um, classic vinyl. Like, I'm a bin digger. That's 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 primarily why I buy vinyl. Because, I, I mean, we both grew up in the CD age. But, like, Apollo is one of those things that I've had my copy since 1993, no, nine, yeah, 93. It had, yeah, wasn't brand new, but by the time I heard of them, I, I got it. So it's a very old CD copy. Still works fine. And of course, I've got it on, you know, my, got the files and all that stuff. But having that on vinyl would be, I mean, did you do it all up with like the 180 gram, yada, yada? I think, I want to say it was like 100. Or is that just, okay. It was like 160 gram. Like a lot, of, a lot of the weight stuff is kind of BS. Um, oh yeah, no, I know. That's why I said it in that voice. <laughs> I know um, uh, Var from No Idea to challenge that. He put out the um, uh, reinventing Axel Rose from against me. He did like 180 press and like a 200 gram press, and he's like, "Yeah, they don't sound anything different." <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what it is it's it's like one of those i mean it's like any other promotional thing like i don't know in the grocery store you put new and improved on the label or you put you put 100 more chloroforms and feel like ooh, i don't know what that means it sounds good yeah i i think it's just the way i think we, i mean i think on some stuff you know if it's super bassy maybe it makes a difference you can cut deeper in the vinyl but who knows? It, huh. it seems like a lot of. Uh, I mean, let, let's face. It, I don't think anyone's. Uh, I think a lot of people aren't actually listening to their records, anyways. Yeah, which <laughs> is dumb. Point. So here's here's my question for you, as a dude who's definitely a vinyl head. Um, yeah, I have two record players. I have my modern. Um, it's just like a Sony. It's not one of those super nice ones, but um, I got a good system, good speakers, and all that. Uh, that's usually what I listen to records on. Uh, but I also have uh, in our dining room a 1954 Voice of Music buffet table uh, record console. The whole big thing, piece of furniture. 
and I got it super cheap, changed out the tubes, put in a preamp to make it even louder. Uh, right now I got to clean the pots on the, um, the dials are very scratchy, but, uh, it's still got the 45 adapter and the mechanism will work about 90% of the time where you can stack up about six, uh, 45s and it'll play them and drop them and play the next one. And it's pretty awesome. And, but it, it plays 45s pretty well. But LPs it has a problem with, even on thick ones, like I tried the, I have the 50th anniversary Pet Sounds reissue that's, I'm not sure if it's 180, but it's pretty thick. And I'm actually not sure if thick or thin is better, but the needle is always slipping. Um, I mean, the, the problem might be that the platter is almost made more for 45s, and maybe I could get something to put on top of the platter to make it, like the platter's like 10 inches instead of 12, or something like that. You yeah, know. it also might be like a counterweight issue. I've had a, a couple things where um, or we had a 7-inch that the band was playing on a kind of a cheap table to, to test it, and they're like, oh, it's missing an entire channel of audio, and it was just the... Um, what? Like, freaking out. I'm like, oh, my God, we just pressed a 1,000 of these. Oh. And then when I... I'm like, oh, it sounds fine. It was just a matter of the guy's counterweight was off, and it was uh, dropping off like the whole right channel of the the record. That's bizarre. Okay, so what this does is like I'll put it you know, I'll place the needle. It's got it's got an automatic start but only for a 7-inch record, a 45, right? So it it can set the arm automatically with that mechanism if you click it. I mean, this is a very old system. It can play 16 RPM. I don't know what the hell you'd use that for. 33, 45 and 78. People were still hanging on to 78s back then. Um I think the 16s were um where the big they had these big like fourteen inch discs that they put like the news on or something oh, like that. Oh damn, that's amazing! <laughs> I know all about wax cylinders, but I guess I kind of skipped over those things. Um, so they typically weren't for music. Maybe that's why I've never come across any information for them. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I have a I have a LP of uh, JFK's uh, speeches. <laughs> I have the weirdest shit. I buy stuff that's four dollars or less is what I usually buy. But on occasion, usually for they might be giants, I will spend money and. Um, there is, oh yeah, so this problem with the turntable, like um, to to get to it quickly, is like what happens is I'll put the needle down, uh, I'll, I'll physically place it on the edge of a, a twelve inch LP, and it'll play the first song, and then maybe like ten, at least maybe thirty seconds in, it'll just go rah, 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 and jump to like the third or fourth song. You know, it'll just slide its way across the record. And now this is an old arm. This, all the pieces are original except for the tubes and the preamp. Uh, I also have an aux cable in there, so if I want to run my uh, uh, laptop through a $500 tube amp, <laughs> I bought this thing for 10 bucks. <laughs> um, uh, and then my friend who actually knows shit about that was like, dude, this uh, is a really good uh, amp. And so it slides over, and it's the original arm, which is a pretty light, uh, like, hollow metal arm. And then the stylus... Um, I, there was actually one that came with it, like the person who sold it to me, there was a little container that had what seemed to be a new stylus in it. So I actually put a new needle on the thing, the the brand, the kind that would fit it, but uh, an old one, but a new, ver- I, I don't know, you know what I mean. So I'm not sure what the problem is, and I've tried, like other people have suggested, like tape a nickel to the top of the, you know, the arm, tape a quarter, and none of those would work. It just makes the it scratching much worse when it starts to slide. <laughs> Any suggestions? I, I know the tape of nickels. Uh, my grandfather, I, I grew up listening to one of those at my grandfather's house. Yeah. 
and I, I want to say I think they were primarily made for 45. Yeah. I remember the they had the you know that weird little notch thing on the um the center peg that you would stack up like a yeah. million of them and had like an arm that would drop them down. Yeah. So you, know, you you yank that off when you want to play an LP. It's a big just like I mean you know it's a 45 adapter, but it's like 10 adapters tall, and it has a little notch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think some of those things where they were, it also, it's very possible that the, uh, the motor has just been beaten over, you know, the 70 years that it's been alive, that, uh, the extra weight is making it drag or not play at the right speed. So you think it's got too much weight on it or what are you saying? It's pro- it's probably either not enough weight on the tone arm or there's too much weight on the, on the platter. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, do you think it would help if I got some sort of, um, I mean, basically a platter to put on top of the platter. I could try taking it apart, but I do play 45s a lot, like to extend the platter to the proper 12 inches. Do you think it's the records hanging off the edge? you think that's the problem? It definitely could be that it's kind of like bending over the like the edge of that, like the little mini platter. Um, yeah. I know what most people seem to be doing with those uh, with those consoles is they're gutting the old turntables out uh-huh. because the, the the amps are beautiful. Like I mean, I run um, uh, I restored a bunch of vintage uh, Macintosh amps from the fifties, and like they're you know I found I found one of them at the dump like and I just grabbed it. Wait, from the fifties like, Macintosh was I yeah, mean, it, really? Wow. It's the, the it's the first model Macintosh did. It's like it was the MC30, I think it is. Damn. And um, I found a, I found a guy who used to work for Columbia Records that professionally he uh, restores like three models of Macintosh, and he did them up for me. And you know they're just will blow the windows out of your house at half volume. <laughs> yeah, my my mine is pretty fucking powerful now that I put that because I had a dude who uh, now works at Sweetwater. I don't know would would someone on the East Coast know about Sweetwater? An audio oh person? yeah, the, yeah. The the running the running joke is if you're in, involved in music, uh, the sweet your Sweetwater rep will call you more than your parents do. Yes, yes. Or if you use disc makers, those guys call me a lot. Um, that's what I do the CDs through uh, for my bands. But um, the yeah, because he works for Sweetwater now, but he's like a mad scientist. He owns his own label. Do you know Mike Mike Pradovsky in Russian recording? If you don't, you definitely know Lil Bub. Yeah. The cat. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so Lil Bub was owned by Mike Brodowski, who owns a uh, Russian recording in Bloomington, Indiana. Rest in peace, Lil Bub. You were a saint. Um, got to meet her once. And then next door, Mike uh, Nataro, who had been, um, who had interned under Brodowski, opened up his own with, with Brodowski's wishes, like a budget studio, right? So he was like the new guy. So he opened up a sound workshop was the name of the studio. And if I had anything broken, I could bring it to him. And he came to me to look at my ta- my buffet table because it's heavy as hell. And so he's like, oh, man, this is great. So we changed out the tubes. I went to – there was actually an old old school electronics store in town where I was able to buy tubes without having to order them. I was able to buy them locally. Um, and well, let's see. Yeah, and and so then he's like, "You want to put a preamp in this? We really, really 
make it pump. And I'm like, yeah, sure. We didn't change out the speakers. That would probably be the next thing I'd want to do. But like, I only put 10 bucks into the initial purchase and he threw in a whole bunch of 45s with it. And now I go to like estate sales or like, you know, record stores will get people's estate sale stuff and just buy like everything that's Motown for like a dime a piece. You know, it's super rad. Have him hanging on the wall in my studio. You've probably oh, seen yeah. some of those pictures. Um, what's it? Yeah, I ended up, I ended up grabbing um, a guy randomly on Facebook messaged me. His um, his father had passed away, and he asked me if I wanted to buy his. Um, he had a, a, a beautiful collection of Motown and oh, you know, oh, full, yeah, and for like um, it was like two hundred fifty bucks, and there's like six or seven hundred forty fives and just absolute mint condition oh my god did you buy them oh yeah definitely oh nice man you keeping all of them i i, I was so tempted <laughs> like i want to get a, i want to restore a jukebox and just fill it up with all that stuff oh god seriously i would love a jukebox i mean we're not that well off right now and with the with the end times coming uh, let's not make a big investment yet uh <laughs> Well, you, you know, yeah. that's, that's, screw, screw, screw it. Just go put it on the credit card. Right. <laughs> we'll <start> yeah. later. <laughs> oh, so good. Um, let's talk about your fandom. I mean, you ended up working with the band, so obviously you've been a fan pretty early on. First, uh, do you mind if I ask how old you are? I think you told me once we are not that far apart. I'm 38. I'm uh, 41 as of right now. Yeah. So I know we talked a little bit about this just via um, Facebook Messenger that you got into them pretty young. And, I mean, you started your label when you were, what, 18? 16. 16, right? That's nuts. And you were mostly putting out, like, your friend's stuff at first, I imagine, right? Yeah. um, We started off, you know, we were running shows. We we put out a compilation. We put out some CDs from our, like, local friends. And then... um, kind of like ramped up from there yeah 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 yeah. so tell us about your fandom to uh for they might be giants well my first introduction um must have been 86 87 there was a show on nickelodeon called nick rocks and by my by my recollection there was only about three episodes of it and they showed the same videos every time yeah and it it was pretty much like um, it was "Don't Let's Start" and uh, "Black Flag" by King's X for some reason. Like those what? were the two videos that they showed, <laughs> and I just remember seeing those two songs over and over and over again. Um, and I just kind of like really loved uh, the song. And then um, I guess like you know a year or two must have been like two years later. Then they I saw the Anna Ang videos pop up on on something that was more um, kind of kid oriented. Um, and at, at yeah. that point, like, you know, I, I wasn't, didn't have much money to buy records. I think, like, you know, I bought, like, I had, like, Weird Al and Then and Now, Best of the Monkeys at that point. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, Love it. And then um, I, I did end up buying Flood the year it came out. And that was the first record of theirs that I bought, like, right when it came out. Nice. Nice. And so we talked about something that a lot of people, probably even big fans, aren't aware of. Um, the, well, will you tell the story of how the bootleg covers compilation tape came to be? Cause so yeah, stump box, right? Was what it's called? Yeah. Tell people about yeah, that. Yeah. So, so stump box was the, like the first, I guess, release that I ever worked on. Um, it was on the alt, uh, TMBG, uh, 
was it all TMEG music uh, on that, the, yeah, the new thirds right. back in the day. Yeah. And um, I, I now it's horrible to me. I forget the guy's name. He was um, he was like a couple years older than me, and he was putting it together. And um, people got everyone to submit cover tracks from bootlegs, um, TV appearances, whatever they had. And we put together this tape, and um, I had named the tape for him because it was originally off the uh, the stump the band. Uh, gimmick that the band had been doing uh, for a couple years. So that's where the name came from. I don't know if you ever told me that the name. I was just like, oh, it's a playing stomp box. I didn't really even think about it. So stump. I yeah, see. it was. This, it was. A, yeah, the stump the band. So yeah. and a lot of the stuff on the tape was from that. And um, so then that point. So the only way to get it was you had to send me or um, the other gentleman um, a blank tape and postage. Yeah. And we would we would dub it for you and send it off. That um, is so nineties. I fucking love it. And in kind of retrospect, I'm like, I'm glad the band didn't sue me. Um, well, I mean, I mean, even to this day, like, they've, I mean, since it was during the, wait, was this, it started kind of during the Electra time, or was it post, yeah, or was it right yeah, after, this, yeah. It's been, I want to say, 94, 95, probably. Yeah, it seems like if Electra people heard about it, they might be mad, but they might be giants if, if pretty much, like... I mean, Severe Tire Damage was, like, a legit live album. They also had that, that 94 one that was mostly for promotional purposes. But, like, um, they've pretty yeah, much I been mean, okay with people, like, bringing a, a you know, a, a Zoom recorder in and just, like, taping it, the shows, right? Got a lot of friends that do that now. I mean, in retrospect, definitely questionable legality. You know, it was all cover song. I mean, Electra yeah. couldn't come after us because there was no uh, songs they owned the rights to. That's unless the true. Cover happened to be a electra bands um right yeah here's a here's a metallica cover <laughs> so so yeah but i i, I got to imagine the band was aware of it you know they were i i believe pe- people from their you know their group were uh, on that message board and must have been aware of what was going on and just no one cared i guess uh-huh. uh and i know that, that eventually i think there was another volume of it years later once i was i wasn't really no longer on that on the message board when i was off for college so I think I think there was like a second one that came out, but that, like the first one was like a, I, I I burnt out two tape decks burning copies of that, <laughs> <laughs> that stupid thing. That's so funny, yeah. Because uh, I told you I was going to send you a, a cassette, and then I forgot to. Would you Would you still tape me one old school style if I sent you a, a cassette and a self addressed stamped envelope? I think actually, um, uh, I'm I'm getting a copy to a friend of mine. He's going to digitize it for me. That's cool. I'd still want a cassette. <laughs> See, that's that's the thing. Like, I am not crazy about bands putting out cassettes these days, and it seems like that's starting to calm down a little bit. Um, it was really big, you know, like you know, four or five years ago. It's it's calming down a little bit as people realize that it's the worst sounding media. But if it's something that was intended, if it's something that's already lo-fi. Uh, like I would kill to get my hands on some of the early mountain goats cassettes. Um, or if it's something that was like originally released on cassette or cassette only, like I just bought some Daniel Johnston cassettes because his manager still dubs them, uh, at home at his house and puts, you can buy the original style, which is the unmastered or it's like as is from the original tapes. Uh, and we'll put the soft case on and physically paste the front and back cover on and then Sharpie onto the tape 
yip jump or whatever it is like daniel used to do it he is carrying on the tradition that daniel used to do in the 80s so that is the kind of cassette i will buy but so for this stump box was originally only on cassette and uh it would be awesome to have a cassette would you make me a cassette of it let me see if i could find out like i don't even have a dual cassette deck anymore like i'm looking around this basement i'm like is there a cassette deck anywhere yeah i still have a dual cassette deck <laughs> yeah, and, a, and a boom box I, that'll play it <laughs> if i if i could like like i moved three years ago and right after having a kid so everything is just like there's just piles of audio equipment everywhere that's not hooked up oh i hear that man <laughs> Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I had my dual tape deck. Actually, I was doing the same thing. I was digitizing some of my old band's tapes. I actually was able to do some pretty cool stuff. One of my uh, my band's very first full length from 97 was on cassette. Full on, like, our guitarist worked at Office Depot and, like, like stole, like, made copies of the, the you know, the J cards that we made homemade. Uh, or stole copies, meaning he just made a bunch of copies without telling his boss. And so we were dubbing all these ourselves. Um, it ended up getting on a local label called Funded by Mom, which is the best record label for what literally was, you know, this guy and his mom. We were all in high school. And um, the cassette we put out, it turns out that we had slightly bumped the speed, the recording speed, on the Tascam 4-track. Uh, okay? So when we recorded it, or when we bounced it, I don't know, at some point the speed got uh, it got sped up like a smidge so like the first chord is like somewhere in between a g and an a because i went back and i was able to readjust the speed and i asked my guitar player i'm like is that first chord of the album a g or an a and he for somehow remembered immediately it's a g so i got an actual tuner i adjusted the speed of of the tape off my dual cassette deck put it back down to where it should be at a g and then and then remastered it and digitized it. <laughs> so I was doing that, and my tape deck was just hanging out in the basement here in the studio. Finally got the hook back up just so I could listen to my new Dane Johnston tapes. So a tape of Stuntbox would be amazing. If you can't make it happen, I will take the MP3s. But, um, yeah, that's awesome. So uh, you've had a, a long history of um, first bootlegging Giant stuff and then officially working with Giant stuff. Does Flansburg know that you were the guy behind that? now yeah um i actually got to sit down with him one night for a couple hours at um mohegan sun after his show and um and we we chatted about a whole bunch of stuff and i mentioned that and he kind of laughed at me yeah <laughs> so he was aware of it i mean it, it's hard to tell how much those guys like do they just not acknowledge stuff like that or are they not even aware of it i mean this was the 90s they had bigger stuff to think about on those major label days so but he knew about it yeah, he he said he had he had heard about. It. I know um, I know his like management people knew about the tapes. That, mm-hmm. Like, just because they're on like every website, and I and I think some of the guys are on some of those like fan sites that have like the listings of the, uh, you know the ofi- the official bootlegs that came out. Sorry, right? <laughs> yeah, are, the official bootlegs that are kind of recognized <laughs> right. recognized by the fan community. We had kind of suggested doing um, an Electra era B sides double album oh that would have, yeah, yeah that would have um you know all the e all like the extra ep tracks all you know just the the, the random soundtrack tracks yeah and it would have been pretty cool because this is like all the stuff that wasn't available on vinyl in one place we thought it would be really cool yeah and 
it just it, like the the band next to it. I mean, and I understand, you know, it's it's their baby; they can do whatever they want. But it was just one of those like this would sell so well. It really <laughs> but, no. would, and people want. There was like an aborted um, early aughts B side thing, I believe. Like the TMBG Unlimited stuff, I think was going to be collected on a physical or or like the 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 best stuff, the non live version. Not you know like I mean yeah I don't know like how they did cast your pod to the wind, but there's like there's this gap where we're missing all of these like rare songs on physical format that would definitely sell. One of my favorite things actually that you've put out is the uh, the Adam and his package Mountain Goats uh, seven inch, which uh, was supposed to happen in what two thousand. 2000 whenever he put out uh redefining music never came we out you put that, it out um, we didn't put that one out oh, um, you didn't? I, I distributed uh i ended up um i ended up distributing a, a large amount of copies i want to say i think i ended up buying like 100 copies out of the 500 of yeah. that and we distributed a ton of those just because uh, i was a huge adam this package fan yeah um and the, the, it was like oh he's covering mountain goat songs that's so awesome Th- that was actually uh, the reason I first went to to Fest was um, uh, I, I, I knew about Fest for the first couple, and I was like, eh, I'm not driving all the way to Gainesville for like right. these bands that play Connecticut right. all the time anyways. Adam, this package reunion, I am driving a thousand miles, no <laughs> question. <laughs> yeah, I actually booked him on the Redefining Music's tour. Him and Harmar Superstar came to Davenport, Iowa, where I booked them at uh, the Chai Cafe. And I I went to school across the river there. I was in Rock Island, Illinois. And that was, like, amazing. So I have a picture of me at 20 years old with Adam and Harmar. And I took it after he had played a set. And we were both just, like, exhausted and red-cheeked from how fucking hot it got in that little place. It was so good. So good, dude. And then talking to him, I actually talked to him on the phone today about uh, how we were going to work Boat of Cars. So... Uh, I'm pretty happy to, uh, you know, be able to call Adam Gorin like a friend now because we have chatted so many times and he is such a nice dude. When uh, when I said I wanted to reissue the records, he told me, "Don't do that. You'll lose so much money." <laughs> he is like so self-deprecating, and you know, it's just like. I don't know. It's like it's almost like uh, you know a good stereotype of that that Jewish sense of humor that I love that like self-deprecating like uh yeah you don't want to do that are you sure you want to do that like that kind of like self-doubt when really he's just he's fucking awesome i mean proof of it is the montana cover that me and him did shot up to like 2000 plays in like a weekend like eclipsing like my own original band's band camp plays (laughs) and i'm like dude what did i tell you People want to hear you again. So now we're rolling on. I'm like, you want to do something on spring break? Sure. I, I, I would pretty much, uh, like, I, I don't care that I would, uh, if I lost money on that record. It was one of those, like, I go to my grave knowing that I put out Adam and package records. So. Seriously. You want to put out an Adam and package? They might be Giants covers uh, a 7-inch? I mean, I think <laughs> I have to. It's like, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're the uh, the primary ska nerdcore record label. Dude, so. yeah, you know. 
and I've, I've, I mean, we, my outdoor floor recently put on a covers record. I spent 800 bucks to stay above board with all the licensing. So, I mean, doing like four, they might be giant songs probably cost us 200 bucks or something. You know, I'd cough that up if, uh, if we go halvesies on the vinyl, that would be so incredible. But we're getting, a little, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Let's, uh, let's get to the task at hand. And, um, so you've been a fan the whole way through, obviously. Um, so when Indestructible Object, came out this is this is i feel like a forgotten not necessarily forgotten but kind of overlooked like the eps in general kind of get overlooked because they put out so many goddamn full lengths it's not like you're like so thirsty for content with these guys like there's just so much that something like an ep might just kind of like slide by especially in the early aughts and especially in the 90s i just got a copy of back to skull so what was um what was it like for you and your fandom when um you know, Indestructible came out, which was uh, just before the uh, the spine. I wanted to like around that point. Um, I was um, I was just engaged, and I basically was coming to the um, kind of the realization that I had to stop touring as much as I had been. Sure. Um, and like that summer, and like oh three, right before it would have been six or seven months before that record came out. You know, we did the whole warp tour and Well, who um, were you touring with then? I'm I can't keep track of the the chronology here. Well, it, that time we um we had a band on our label that got sponsored by Subway for uh, some god knows reason. Because they ate so, fresh. Uh, yeah, basically, and we, we convinced <laughs> Subway to sponsor the warp tour so that this band could what? get like on the warp tour what? and they just did they what? they just spe- they they just spent like uh, they I think they spent a hundred thousand dollars to get the to sponsor oh warp tour. God. What was the band? Uh, this band called Grover Dill. They were uh, my roommate's uh, pop punk band. They were they were a pretty big deal in Connecticut like for a while. Wow. You know, they were drawing. I think at their peak, they you know they were doing five six hundred people, and like they opened up that or was that that uh, Blink One Eighty Two Green Day? Um, oh. Jimmy World Show at Hartford. They played that show. Wow, and they played, that's big. And um, and they got on a lot of really random stuff. Like they played like the um the Rose Bowl in L.A. Like opening up for like Celine Dion or what? something. <laughs> was, oh my god, like, crazy! So they opened up in the same summer. They opened up for like Celine Dion in Conflict. It was just a very weird, weird time. That is bizarre. So you stopped. You stopped going on the road so much around this time. I was like, you know, I had to go back and, and get a real job, and yeah. which was kind of awful. Yeah. And then, um, and I think, at the, I mean, at that point, like, I feel like they might be giants. They fell out of kind of prominence, you know. Um, Mink Car, you know, coming out on we came out on nine eleven, if I'm remembering. Yep, you're correct. And that, um, and that, so that record just got buried, and then, um, and then I think that was the last full. Was that the last full length before Indestructible? Yeah, uh, well, no, was before that. The oh, last yeah, so adult the, full length, yeah. So I, I feel like they kind of like fell off the pop chart, like they fell out of kind of like the pop conscious for a second there. Yeah, and uh, and and that like indestructible. I, I love that record. I think it's it's kind of a it's a slightly disjointed record. Like you know, it's obviously like a bunch of like a bunch of tracks just kind of thrown together. It's not. It doesn't flow as cohesively as a lot of their other stuff. Um, yeah, honestly, uh, I'm not quite sure why they put it out. I'm, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not glad it exists. I mean, this song alone is a good reason for it. And I mean, Ant. Um, 
and, and I love the Beach Boys. I mean, Caroline, no. And then you got two that ended up on the spine. Um, but, like, why would they put it out when... So this is on Barsook, which I was surprised about, because at the time I was totally, like, getting into all those bands on Barsook. I mean, you know, Death Cab started on Barsook, uh, if people don't know. And, um, like, I don't know if it was a deal through them, because then they started doing the Idlewild stuff. You know, they were off of Restless, and they decided to basically just do their own thing. And, like, I'm just kind of confused as to why they put it out. So there's two Spine songs and then three other ones. But, like, in the major label era, I could see, like, Elektra being like, hey, let's put something out between these albums. What do you got? You know, and then they'd throw out Back to Skull or they'd throw out, you know, whatever. Um, Because then we also got the Spine Surfs alone. I'm not sure why they were doing all these EPs then instead of just like waiting and could have crammed another full length in there between those two EPs. It's just a very weird thing to do. I guess EPs were still pretty hot in the early aughts. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it might've been just the, to stay prominent, you yeah. know, you had to have a release out. And, and also that's, that's right around the time when, um, if I'm remembering correctly, that that's right around the time when, um, you know, the Napster LimeWire stuff was hitting really hard. Yeah. So um, I think you kind of, like, you couldn't capitalize on the old records as much because people were just downloading them. Where you're like, well, if we put this out, the core the core fan base is going to buy them. Um, yeah, the physical, right? Like, I seem to remember, I have to dig out my, I seem to remember my, I think my copy is signed. I think there might have been, like, if you order it now, you get a signed copy. Oh, man. Sort, sort of deal. And I know they did that with a couple of the records from like around that time. Yeah, I mean it's funny because you're saying like, oh, you got to have a release out, and I'm looking at the discography. Um, they had <laughs> you got to have a release out. Well, let's have five releases out in 2004. Indestructible Object in April, The Spine in July, The Spine Surfs Alone EP also in July. Uh, then The Spine Hits the Road live album in August. And then um, Almanac live album in December. So, <laughs> what's the deal, guys? Like, it's just so crazy. They could have made the spine like a double album with like a bonus disc of the instead of doing two EPs, a bonus disc of other songs and a couple live tracks. I mean, it's just like crazy amount of, of stuff for like the physical era i never got the, uh, the spine surfs alone in fact i tried to buy a thing off discogs and the guy was being really weird about it um but indestructible object i've had since it came out because it came on barsook so maybe that's why you do something like that um the spine and spine surfs alone are both on idlewild but being on barsook i was like wait they might be giants are putting out something on Barsook. Well, okay, I got to get it. Because at the time, I was kind of a poor college kid and, you know, wasn't throwing my money around. I was still buying all the full lengths by them, of course. But I was like, well, okay, I'll get an EP. Why not? So, yeah. I, I think if, if I remember <laughs> I remember correctly, I think I think the guy who owns Barsook is like a huge They Might Be Giants fan. And it was kind of like the – it was probably the – we have all this death cap money. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> You know, it, it's like you, when you do, it's sort of like, you know, we did like, you know, the Adam is Package record. You're like, I just want to do this because I love this band so much. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it, this would be easy to Google search. Uh, Barsook Records, they might be giants. Let's just look at that and see what, what comes up with. Um, so as far as this EP goes, you said it feels pretty 
disjointed. Um, why why would you say that is? Because of the spine tracks that are just stuck in the middle, or or, or that there's a yeah, cover, I mean, or what do you think? Like I, I, it to me, it it always felt like you know this was just a kind of a collection where even even they're like the records, like the records, you know, tend to flow very oddly, but it seems to make sense. Like you know, um, you know, like John Henry is just all over the place, but it like <laughs> makes some kind of. I guess in my head it just makes some logical sense, and, and this record felt more like. Like these songs weren't written to be together, right? Um, right. It, so where it's kind of like you know it's 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 a good collection, but it was it, it's definitely a collection as opposed to something that was written to be like kind of a cohesive statement of uh, some sort. Right. See, that's what I'm saying. Like if they had done a bonus disc like they did for the Else three years later and just done the spine with a second CD, and like you know if you say like oh it's a bonus disc. People aren't going to complain about the flow or whatever, or oh, there's a cover in here, you know, just like the Spine Surfs Alone and uh, um, and this would tack on eleven. That's eleven songs total, or wait, twelve. That's a solid, you know. That's that twelve tracks isn't enough for They Might Be Giants full length because their songs are short. Uh, but for a bonus disc, it'd be like twelve more songs all together. Buy it as one thing. Hell, I'd pay you know fifteen dollars for the spine to get that bonus disc uh, instead of having to buy three different things. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I love physical stuff. I'd like. I don't mind having more CDs. I mean, I, I built a custom 2,500 capacity CD rack to continue to grow into it by buying CDs. Still, um, I got plenty of record storage left too, so I'm in good shape on all of that. I'm all set for the apocalypse. Keep buying records, um, and everyone should keep buying records. Buy Asbestos Records stuff. Is it AsbestosRecords.com? What is it? Yeah, that's that's the website. Ho- horribly out of date from uh, just being busy with kids' no, day jobs. It looks punk rock. Stand by it, man. It looks and like my in- lack of any knowledge of like my, my rudimentary WordPress knowledge. It, yeah, it looks like uh, you know, like the way Interpunk did, uh, you know, all that stuff. I love that 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 era of the web um, when you could actually buy stuff on the web, but it still looks like pretty archaic. You know, I like that stuff. It, it, it looks. Right now, it's kind of retro cool, honestly. I'd leave it alone. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so indestruct- Indestructible Objects' first track is Am I Awake? And I remember the first time I put this in my CD player boombox in my college house and was like, oh, wait, this came out right after I graduated. So, still had a boombox, still applies. My first apartment um, away from my parents and was just like, holy hell, this is awesome. Because I was a guy who loved and always will love Mink Car. Man, It's So Loud in Here was one of my favorites off of that oh, album. same here. Same here. Right? Did you hear Colin Clive of Muster Plug, my collaboration with him on that? Oh, I have to hear that. Like, Dude, go uh, to the band that- camp. That came before Adam. This was, uh, I don't know if you know about his new uh, other band, The War Between, with uh, Josh Stacey from... Um, he was used to be in the Bloody Lips. He, um, yeah. So those two guys and me collaborated on a cover of uh, "Man It's So Loud" here, and it is on the. This might be a podcast. Bandcamp.com. Everyone, go get it. It's free. It's right next to the Montana single with Adam. Go get both those, and yeah, you'll love it. It's pretty great. So I loved "Man It's So Loud" here, and he did that episode with me too, uh, Colin. And when "I'm Awake" came on, I'm like, holy shit. 
John Linnell is honing his fucking dance party, sad bastard dance party music, and I'm all about this. How did you feel when you first heard it? Um, I, I almost felt like it was kind of like um, at that point, you know, it's like, okay, I have to get this day job and, um, you know, not be on the road and just dicking around anymore. Right. And, it, you know, I was going through, like, I, I, working for an IT contractor, it was just, you know, the going to work, just pounding coffee, like to stay awake, <laughs> um, and you know, and I was still, I was still jamming in. I, you know, I was still working, uh, working shows for my friend who's a promoter, and you know, and still fitting some touring here and there. So you know, just running ragged constantly. It, just, it felt that this. It was the kind of like, um, there's like a, a wonderful like depression malaise to that song. Oh yeah, totally. where you can just feel it's like it, you have that feeling of you know just kind of going through life, not knowing what day it is, not knowing what time it is and just kind of plugging through. And, um, you know, thinking about that song for this interview and then this happens, we're now like, we, we don't know what day it is. You know, we're, we're kind of like sitting home alone. Um, yeah. I've been working out of my basement and, um, and we're, uh, we're, we're still in, a, still working with the same IT contractor. So we're super busy. So kind of like busting out like 12-hour days in my basement. I don't Oof. know what time it is. Oof. Yeah, yeah, in a basement. I'm in a windowless basement right now. And, yeah, I'm, um, I'm working on podcasts and recordings in a windowless basement, so same deal. Like, I, I felt like it's even more, the song is even more kind of important now where it's just like this like malaise of um, that's all there really is right now. It's like, you know, um, <laughs> like in, in 20 minutes, I'm supposed to see Murder by Death tonight, but that's not happening. <laughs> Oh, dude, I'm sorry. So, yeah, so, like, I had a great weekend plan. I was seeing Murder by Death tonight. I was seeing Bit Brigade tomorrow, and I was seeing Patton Oswalt on Saturday. And, and now it's like, I'm going to sit in my basement yeah. staring at Netflix. Well, did, like, well, I mean, like, I don't know how much bands are starting to do a lot of this, but is, like, Murder by Death going to do any sort of live streaming thing instead, or is it just kind of like, nah? Um, I, I don't know, honestly. It was just, um, yeah, my, I'll ask friend, Adam. Yeah, I was just talking to him because um, they also own an Italian restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky. If you hadn't heard of, um, uh, what uh, it's like El or something. Well, it's it's like their record, uh, Boca Lupo. It's um, mm, it's I think it's is it called the Wolf? I don't know. It's something like that. It's, yeah, I, I think it's like El Lupo or something. It's like in uh, the Wolf in Spanish or something. In Italian, man, it's Italian. Or Italian. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, they're, know, they're similar. Someone, somebody mentioned that the other day on Facebook that they owned a restaurant, and I, I jokingly yep. said it's been called Burger by Death. <laughs> yeah, Burger by Death, Murder by Meat. I mean, I there's that, a bunch of yeah, Murder, yeah, murder by good. Dogs. It's a hot dog place. I had met him really early on because. Um, I'm, I'm zoning on the name of the label now. That uh, there was that there was the label from New York that was them and uh, My Chemical uh, Romance. Eyeball and Thursday. Eyeball. Uh, yeah. My my uh, at that time my roommate Kathy. Uh, there was a bank. There was a, um, an all woman hardcore band named uh, Morgan Storm who was awesome. Oh yeah. Who was yeah. supposed to have a record out. They were going to have a record out on Eyeball that kind of fell apart, and mm. so we, we met all those bands back then. Um, <clears throat> it's a shame because Morgan Storm was incredible. Um, and yeah, so we ended up meeting Murder by Death in uh, in Thursday and My Chemical Romance through, Hell yeah. through them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those those. I mean, I love all the Murder by Death records. Are great, and they they've stretched out a lot in their their 
genre. They defined a very cool genre for themselves and then now are starting kind of breaking it, kind of like in a They Might Be Giants way, where they never like uh, uh, pinned themselves down to one thing. It was always jumping around, but they continue to stretch their sound. And uh, yeah, mad props to Adam Turla and Sarah Bellier, the, the core of that group. So um, Am I Awake is a fucking amazing song. And it definitely is is appealing to me even more right now with the whole coronavirus thing, being a teacher who is a music teacher who's trying to figure out how e-learning would work as an elementary music teacher. Long story short, I think I'm going to be doing Facebook Live stuff uh, where I just sing to the kids and they can sing along or not or whatever. Um, But, like, I've got, you know, just, like, losing track of what day it is completely and like i almost forgot that we had this recording today i mean for one i need to put reminders in my phone for like everything i have a horrible memory um so usually it'll be like a day ahead of time or two days ahead of time my phone will be like hey you got this podcast coming up like oh all right let's go look for covers and let's look at stuff and then today like i'm preparing for my nine o'clock one uh on for science with sadie hawkins pod uh to those those two and I'm like, and then Kara, my wife, is like, are you really doing two podcasts tonight? You're crazy. And I'm like, am I? <laughs> and then I go and look. I'm like, shit. And it was like a kind of moment where I'm like, oh, am I awake? What is going on here? Like, I need some coffee. I got a double dose of podcast coming up. But it's with uh, you I've been really looking forward to talking to. And Daniel from City Hawkins, he's been on. He was on the Black Ops episode. And now he started up his own Reliant K song by song podcast, so I'm excited to talk about him. I'm going to appear on their episode because Reliant K did a Doctor Worm cover, um, so it's a crossover. And I'm like, I can totally do this, but I think I'm going to need to have some nighttime coffee. So yeah, right after I get off the phone with you, I'm going up to make myself a nice iced coffee at 9:15 p.m. or whatever. Um, and I just uh, finished mine now, so don't feel bad. <laughs> yeah, dude, my tolerance is so so high you just need to drink more and more it's just it just takes more to get me off <laughs> just hook it directly to my veins so what it, did it you got, think what's that i said it got to the point when uh i was going to dunkin donuts three times a day and if i missed one they they got worried about me oh you east coasters and your dunkin donuts see so you had your dunkin donuts that you always went to the same one and they knew you Oh, That's, three times, three times a day for about twelve years. Oh my god, that <laughs> man! Get a coffee machine. What are you doing? <laughs> That's so expensive. Oh, yeah, you don't like making your own. To get out of the. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Go and walk. It was in, in walking distance. No, I was. It was between my. I lived really close to work, so I, you know, I just on the way into work at lunch, I'd swing home, let the dogs out, grab a coffee, and head back to. work. <laughs> Well, um, okay, so we kind of have alluded to both the the arrangement slash production songwriting elements of this song and to the lyrics. What would you like to focus on first, the music or the lyrics? I guess the music. Um, sure, that's, that's usually what I like starting with. What do you think about the uh, the 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 dance club nature of this song? I really, I mean, I don't even know if it's really dancing. I mean, like we're um, man, well, for it's so might loud. be giants, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, man, it's so loud in here was definitely such like a dancey track, and I felt like, I mean, th- this one was more of kind of like, um, you know, you stoned out on your couch, <laughs> zoning out, sort of, um, kind of uh, like vibe to it, um, like really kind of droney and. Um, like you know, almost atonal in some 
places, but it was it's yeah. um. I, I th- and you just you start like if I think if you just had the instrumental for that on a loop, you would probably go insane if you listened to it long enough. Where it just <laughs> oh man, I well that's probably intentional, right? I mean, it's like you're yeah, it's like you're in a trance and you're like jittery, like on coffee, you're like jittery, you're tired and jittery at the same time, like that kind of like yeah, like like you know half dead on your feet kind of feeling. And I, I mean, I think it envelops the lyrics really, really well. I mean, the lyrics yeah. are kind of almost nonsensical, and I, and I think you know it's probably purposeful that you know it's just kind of droning on of like kind of someone kind of <laughs> losing their grip on their sanity. Just, <laughs> it's like, did I drink my coffee? And like, oh, there's coffee on my pants. Uh, I must right. have spilled it. <laughs> and, and it's like it's just you know getting to that point where you've completely lost your mind but you have to kind of keep plodding forward yeah and like and the, the music is just kind of it has like you know that weird kind of i don't know if it's percussion or, or keyboard uh, hits just kind of going through like popping well, up and well let's talk about that okay so um what i did get a chance to look at and still not as thoroughly as i would have liked so let's look together at what the marxophone is do you know what a marxophone is? I have no idea. Nobody knows. So let's talk about that. So the marxophone is the only instrument on this track played by Linnell. Linnell, at least according to the wiki, I could grow, go up and grab the CD booklet real quick if we if we think we are unsure. But lead vocal, John Linnell. Marxophone, John Linnell. Drum loops are actually by Marty Beller, which I may contest and email Marty about this because he told me when we talked a year ago that um, if there are drum machines on a track, it's one of the Johns. He's told me that because I asked him specifically about the else uh, where like, I'm like, okay, Dust Brothers were on some. They probably did, they did some drum programming. The Johns are good at drum programming. Is any of that drum programming you? And he pretty much definitively said, almost never do I do the drum programming. So... I'm not so sure about that. It says drum loops, Marty Beller. Maybe there's some real drums in there that they loop. Maybe that's what they're talking about. Like Marty's sampled. Um, but then the Elegant Two. Are you familiar with the Elegant Two? T O O. Yeah, they they run uh, on Minkar, I think, right? That Mike Doty track, right? Yep, yep. And they've also done remixes of "Man, It's So Loud in Here" as well as a couple other things. And the Elegant Two are Phil Hernandez and Chris Maxwell. Um, and they are they are both credited as programming, and then together as the Elegant Two are credited as synthesizers. So all the synths are not by JL; they're by the Elegant Two. John Linnell plays the Marxophone, and what the Marxophone is, uh, you could pretty much picture. Do you know what an auto harp is? Yeah. If you've ever seen a Mighty Wind, everybody out there, uh, Mitch and Mickey, <laughs> there's uh, the uh, yeah, Mickey plays um. Um, Catherine O'Hare's character plays the auto harp. So um, uh, another famous auto harp player would be uh, the Carter family. Maybell Carter w- is pretty kick-ass. This is uh, Johnny Cash's mother-in-law plays the auto harp. So it's a big-looking... Um, I mean, maybe you're Googling it right now, but the auto harp is a, a harp-looking thing, basically. But it's a chordophone, meaning you press a button that says C, and it mutes the appropriate thing so that when you strum it, it plays a C chord with, like, 36 strings. I bought my wife one, and I have to restring it. It cost me seventy dollars to buy a set of strings for an auto harp. I was like, Jesus Christ! Um, so, a marxophone is a fretless zither. So, a zither is anything that's 
Well, I mean, cordless, you know, a fretless um, meaning it doesn't have frets like a guitar. It's it's the chords are played in different ways. Um, as a sound box, like any string instrument, and two sets of unstopped strings. So one set is tuned to diatonic, so like in a key, chromatic, meaning like every note on a piano, or partially chromatic scale, and the other set is tuned to make various chords. Um, so they're pretty complicated instruments, and the Marxophone in particular is um, played with a, uh, there's like metal hammers, almost like you're playing it like a little piano. Okay, and if you wanna if you wanna look one, well, I can send you a link to the uh, just the Wikipedia page here, and I'm gonna play a little clip of. Well, I'll send you a picture, and I'll send you this video of this guy demonstrating one. And to me, I always thought it was a hammered dulcimer. And another nerd thing: Do you know what a, a dulcimer is? <laughs> I actually have a cousin who plays the dulcimer. Yes, okay, and then the hammered dulcimer has these little mallets, almost like you're playing a percussion instrument, where you can do, like, double-stroke rolls on the strings, you know, kind of, and um, to get some really cool fast rhythms, and it sounds differently. Like, if anyone's ever hit their guitar strings with something, like you take a drumstick or a pencil and start, like, bouncing it off your guitar strings, you get this weird kind of, like, a hammer dulcimer can do that, and that's what I always assumed was in the song, or like a sampled hammer dulcimer. Because it's weird kind of tinny string sound, uh, but you can tell it's not someone strumming a guitar. It's pretty obvious. And some people probably think it's a keyboard, right? So this marxophone is almost like a hammer dulcimer, but that you press the things with your fingers instead of hitting it with a stick, and you press the little things with your fingers, and they hit the strings right under your fingers. So here's a video of a guy named Andy Cohen, um, which isn't that the name of that guy from uh, who does all the Bravo um, after show talk shows? Uh, this is not him. <laughs> this is some old guy. And uh, let's watch him play that real quick because I just found this just now. so cool so this one is very out of tune these things are hard to tune it looks just like an auto harp but these little bouncy hammers that's kind of amazing it looks so cool just these little floppy hammers that are just like you press them once and they go because they hit so hard they just bounce off the steel string that looks like if you looked at it wrong it would break <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have some. I I mean, one of my grandpa's accordions is 175 years old, um, Italian accordion, and like I'll bring it to school like once a year to show my kids. I guess they're not seeing it this year because I don't like having it around children a whole lot. So I also found uh, via the wiki, they might be giants. Resident Life Studio Session. Now, Resident Life um, was a hold on, I'm losing track of things. A t a show on TLC. <laughs> which, you know, we all love our TLC shows. Um, 
this was the theme song. Am I Awake was the, the theme song to the show Resident Life. And I think I'll even drop in. I think I found the theme somewhere where it's pretty much just them like kind of a little narrator over top of this song. Um, I never saw the show. But the apparently they did a – there's this eight-minute thing, and I'm not going to play the whole thing. Let me send you, drop you the link in here. Um, Resident Life Studio Session where uh, – I'll find the parts that, that are the funniest. But uh, at one point on – let's see. What does he say? Linnell playfully speculates that this is probably the first ever recorded song to feature a backwards marxophone. So they're reversing the sound wave. So instead of it's going <laughs> like the Stilub thing. I love backwards shit. This is where everybody dance now was recorded. <laughs> right in there. So, you know, we're going for that kind of sound. You know. And something else besides my head is from my head. Nice, nice guitar work. Yeah. It's the Hendrix guitar. Yeah. That's the actual sound. The sound of the marksman. Not very well played, I must say. <laughs> And that's not a marxophone. Yeah. Electrified marxophone. Yeah. There's some backwards marxophone in there, too. Oh, really? Which is probably the first instance of backwards marxophone <laughs> ever in recorded right. music. We'll be reading music about history that. history right here. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you can guys, you can go out and find this on on YouTube, the Resident Life Studio Session. And so then, moving on to um, more about the musical stuff. That was enough uh, nerd talk with with Mr. Simpson here. I'm pretty obsessed with uh, ancient instruments. It's very interesting to me. Um, first ever backwards marxophone. He's probably right. Um, so in the, the the wiki also tells us in the trivia that the opening electronic instrumentation is a constant theme in the Showtime series, Dead Like Me. Another show that I haven't seen because I don't subscribe to Showtime unless I want to watch Homeland. Oh, so, that show was fantastic. You should definitely see it. Oh, really? Is is it worth... Okay, so if I, if I pay that money to subscribe for one month to watch the new Homeland season, I should also like like just binge watch this too? If I'm if I'm thinking of the right show, I think it's really old. I think that was from the '90s. It's got Mandy Patinkin. Yeah, that was from like the mid, the early 2000s. Um, Let's see, G- 2003 to two- 2003, 2004. That's it. Yeah, it, w- it was uh, it was an excellent show. The movie was really bad. They had like a movie to like finish it uh, off. It wasn't so good, but the the series was fantastic. So it's a dramedy. It looks like. Yeah, I think it's like the um, if I remember correctly the the. Um, the uh, the the main character she dies becomes a grim reaper. <laughs> so it's kind of like a uh, six feet under kind of thing where like people are just dying like right away. Yeah, That's, like but the it's, premise. It's sort of like six feet under. Yeah, if um, but she's the reaper herself as opposed to um, but it's yeah, it's very much in like that kind of humor of of six feet under. The instrumentation. So now that we know that that's a marxophone, um. 
now I want to own a Mark's phone, but I think I better fix up my wife's auto harp first uh, and then just play it with, with the mallets and, and then get the same effect. Do you... Um, Oh, Murder by Death actually used a hammered dulcimer to get effect on one of those uh, Bitter Drink, Bitter Moon songs. I'm blanking on which one right now. Um, I'll figure it out for you later. Um, side tangent. What do you think of the? Well, what do you think of the inclusion of this weird old instrument into what is essentially a very synthesized song? I'm I'm actually quite surprised by it. It felt like it was completely uh, you know synthesized. But yeah, apparently yeah. not. I mean, synthesizers can do a lot of shit. So there's a lot of times where it's like, oh, wait, that actually was a xylophone or whatever, you know, because not a whole lot of bands just have like a you know five thousand dollar like uh, orchestral xylophone around, you know. I mean, you'll hear, you'll hear Glockenspiel's a lot. I mean, I love Glockenspiel's. Jeff Rosenzak loves Glockenspiel's, you know. But like uh, something weird, like a giant marimba that's really expensive, or a Mark's phone that's super old, you don't expect to hear that kind of thing. Uh, I kind of, I kind of yeah. feel like the band must, they must have just like an, like the, he wanted an excuse to buy that thing. <laughs> so, he, so to be able to write it off, he had to use it on an album. <laughs> or maybe, maybe it was sitting in the Edison Museum, and they're like, "Hey, can we step over the rope for a second and bring this microphone over?" <laughs> it's like, what's that thing? Yeah. Hey, what's that? Can I try it? I mean, <laughs> that's like whenever I'm in. Uh, there's actually a really cool percussion museum in Indianapolis called the Rhythm Discovery Experience that um, you can actually play most of the stuff in the museum. Like, they have actual museum pieces you can look at, like, you know, Gene Krupa's kit from whatever, 1950-something. And then there's, like, actual, like, le- legit, like, Ghana African xylophones, and you can go play them. Like, this is the kind of thing where I'm like, I don't know if I'd want to invest in one. They look really expensive, like an antique, but uh, I'd love to play one. Will that ever happen? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, auto harps you can find. Uh, you know, I bought one for 80 bucks and then spent almost as much just on the strings. But a Marxophone, would they have those on Reverb.com? I don't know. I think I'll probably take a look later. So the instrumentation on this is just amazing because it's like stepping up, man, it's so loud in here to become more like complex. I mean, like you said, maybe less of like a dance song, but still very kind of almost like an updated duo era song, you know, even though Flansburg isn't even on this. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's it's weird for a band that was always largely synthesized to they have a like that song just so sticks out that it, it you know it feels like it's just it's like very big like if you put that like on your headphones it just like there's a whole lot of stuff going on it's very yeah. like, very loud very kind of like um kind of a it's probably one of their more abrasive songs <laughs> yeah I actually had it as part of the theme I can't remember which iteration of my medley. Uh, themes it was i've had like 10 medleys now but um i fucking love it and i think because some people were like what's that song and i'm like really you don't know am i awake like a top 30 they might be giant song what is wrong with you but then i'm like shit it's like passed over because it's on an ep this should have been attached to the spine as a bonus disc or whatever secret track i don't know are they still doing those in 2004 this song like gets forgotten about and it's so amazing i mean hell they've used it in two tv shows it's crazy and like i don't know if i even if i've even ever heard it live like it must be i imagine it's a difficult track to play unless they're uh just doing like a, a backing track on it well you know what let's see what the wiki says um has it been played live i don't think it's been played live usually it will say 
Yeah. This has never been played live. Holy shit. Um, that's crazy and unfortunate. Again, they like toss it off as an EP track. Did they think people are going to hate it? I mean, what's the deal? I'd be up it, there probably... yelling like, dude, play it. Am I awake? And they wouldn't be prepared for it. Yeah, at it's all. Probably yeah. Just, it's probably a different track to well, it's like, did you see on Conan when they played uh, Man It's So Loud here on Conan with the tape deck, with the tape, uh, the reel to reel? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Like, they could do it like that. Like, do an old school, like they do this whole Quiet Storm thing now um, with the Johns and then Marty playing, you know, electronic uh, drum pads. Just do it like that but you could i mean have a backing track people wouldn't be like oh they're cheating now it'd be like oh it's a throwback to the duo era i love it you know like just pump it in pump in what you need we'll just what we'll let you have jeff let him borrow his ipod they could just run it right through there and uh right <laughs> yeah just pump it through just pump through a karaoke track and let Linnell sing it i would be honestly i would be happy with that i mean flansburg's not on the track just play the track minus the vocals and let Linnell sing it the crowd would go ape shit Come on, it's not karaoke because it's his own song. Yeah, it, I mean, it's kind of—I feel like weird that I'm like I've never heard it live. And then it hasn't been like—I feel like the the band does so much weird stuff live that like the fact that they haven't done that track is kind of <sighs> just kind of odd. It's a shame. I mean, they can do anything live. They've done much more difficult things live. I think, like turning like on the Mink Car Tour, they would like tune into the local radio and then start playing along with some random song like. That's like showing a level of musical skill that, I mean, these guys are highly skilled and with their backing man is highly skilled. Um, I don't know if I'd want to hear a rock version of the song, though I, I could see how it would work. Uh, like a big heavy rock song, like kind of how they did a rock version of Black Ops. Um, they could easily pull you that do off. It like, straight, like straight Nine Inch Nails style, basically. Oh, man. Yeah, get Marty on the drum thing, but play it hard. Like not Quiet Storm, but, but electronic uh loud storm and uh uh have him just bash out a beat on that maybe pump in like a little extra all that stuff and then yeah live bass add some guitar i don't care i want to hear this i want to hear this live so bad now that i'm realizing it's never been played live i want it even more (laughs) now there's some really good videos to this song which obviously we don't need to play them because it's the same audio but there was a, a contest this was i think might have been the first video contest they ever did they've done it quite they've done it quite a few times since have you seen any of these videos there's the alex italics who i'm hoping to have on the show oh. friends friends with my friend mari morton uh then there's the paul and mike Sweatech version which is the people in bed yeah that's my favorite one is the uh the, the sleeping positions one is brilliant i really like that one it's great uh and then there's the jack fields which is like a puppetry stop motion, but digital kind of thing. I can't really figure it out. I think it's stop motion animation. Yeah, there's, the Alex Italics one is on really you- cool. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of them on YouTube that didn't even didn't like fit like finish in the contest that people just uh, posted yeah. their own ones. So you can you can go pretty you can dig pretty deep on there. Yeah, the Alex Italics one is cool because there's actually um, actors in it. And once you get other humans involved, then it's not just one person animating something or whatever. And, I mean, the Sleep Positions one, obviously, they had a couple actors or the, those, those two, the couple. But this, like, the old the Alex Italics is really cool because it's made to look like an old news alert, news bulletin. And it's the newsroom, and there's the old Walter Cronkite-type guy, like, 
very calmly saying the lyrics, which the lyrics are pretty... Linnell does deliver them in a pretty calm way, which offsets the crazy musical stuff in this song. And I think that's one thing I like about it is that it's both calm and frantic at the same time, which is kind of how I'm feeling a lot lately. <laughs> no, it, it's yeah, say, like I said, it's definitely very, it, it fits, fits the current environment very, very well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the, to get deeper into the lyrics before we get to the, the cover section here, um, we've, we've already mentioned quite a few of these, the, the 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 great thing about the coffee spill, I think, the twist with the lyrics, the way J- Linnell gets you at the end, he says, the coffee's cold. Did I forget to drink it yet? Like, you need coffee so bad you're forgetting to drink your coffee. Uh, did I forget? And then my clothes are wet. I don't remember drinking it, which is just like, you think he's going to say something about spilling coffee on it, but he's like, did I drink my coffee? Did I spill my coffee? What happened? It's almost like when I first heard it, I'm like, wait, drinking pants? What is he doing? Drinking the coffee off of his pants? Like, it's just a weird Linnellian turn of phrase. What are your favorite lyrics in here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably probably something even deeper than that that we're just missing. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, I think just just like the play, like the the uh, if when I get through this day line, just always hits me. Yeah, yeah. It just you know it's just this, just this horrible like kind of like plotting existence, and then like you know the music kind of gets it kind of loops faster near the end. Yeah, kind of like the, it's like this guy's gonna have an aneurysm and die at his desk sort of uh, feel to it. <laughs> oh yeah, the, yeah. Oh my god. It is such a good song in so many ways. Like the juxtaposition, yeah, of just like, it seems like like if you're a person listening to the song, like you or me, how could you not be awake? The song is so in your face. Like there's no way, this is not a song that you would fall asleep to. So, but the, so the content of the song, the content of the lyrics kind of goes against the nature of the song because it's a song that is the opposite of a lullaby. And he's like, am I awake? I don't know. Like, am I still sleeping? What's going on? Um, but then they also fit together because it's like I mentioned before, like it's almost a jittery song where you're like, I need my coffee and you're like dumping caffeine into yourself or you're forgetting to drink your coffee, but it's like this calm meets jittery kind of thing. It feels like very disassociative, like, um, where it's, it's, he's, you know, he's kind of just removed himself, you know, from whatever he's kind of plotting through and it's, it's, I think he just did a brilliant job of lacing kind of nonsensical lyrics with just this kind of like this eerie, like repetitive background, like plotting, (laughs) thumping background. Yeah, this, you know, I love Flansburg's lyrics too, but they definitely, like, if you really get into They Might Be Giants to where, I mean, hell, there are some people that's, you know, if they're a casual fan that they can't tell the Johns apart. I mean, to me, that's absurd, but that's just because I've been listening to them for so long. But, like, the lyrical styles of the two, there's a lot of overlap so that there's, like, aesthetically, listening through an album isn't jarring. You know, they have a lot of similar artistic tendencies and wells to draw from. But, like, Linnell in particular, like you said, the kind of, like, absurd, like, even just going to a song like As Happy as Dr. Worm. It's like, well, you could think of it literally, and that would be just a hilarious, funny thing to do. Or you could really get into it and think some, you know, really start getting down into some weird hole. 
Um, and that's very, very much Linnell's strong suit. So this this whole thing about just like, oh, it's a song about a guy who's tired. Is it, though? <laughs> I, also, I think it also stands out that, um, you know, they have a lot of very dark songs through their catalog, but they're generally upbeat. And this this is one of the few examples where the song is really dark and the music is dark. And I think yeah. like, that's one of the... It really but it's me, still like, upbeat, like in tempo, strictly a tempo and rhythmic sense. It's really oh, propulsive, yeah. but it's in... Uh, well, okay, what key is this in? It's in a minor key. Um, e flat minor. Wow. I bet they based the key on what the marxophone could play is what I'm guessing is that he started with the marxophone because no one in their right minor would play right mind would play something in E flat minor unless you're one of those bands in the 90s like Green Day or Nirvana who would tune down to E flat uh, just to be weird. Uh, Pup tunes to E flat. I don't know fucking why anyone does that anymore. It's like either go to D or just stay in E. Come on. Um, so like D E flat minor, like it's almost like, yeah, like punk bands be like, Oh, we're tuning down a half step. Listen to how heavy this is. And it's minor. It's very unusual for they might be giants to do something like that. Like, I feel like if, if it was on a, like, a like an Electra era record or before it would have been like a poppy upbeat song I figure like, like, um, like man, it's so loud in here. To me, that's like a really, it feels like it's a really sad song about like a relationship falling apart and like the distractions of life getting in the way and like being the cause. But it's, you're like, oh, I can dance to this. This is fun. Right. <laughs> or where the, this song is, you know, that's probably the closest analog to that, to that song. And you're, it's like, you can't, you can't really dance to this. It, it's just, it almost feels kind of like uncomfortable listening. To yeah. Sorry. What was that last bit? You cut out for a second. Oh, I said it was just, um, the song is it's it's almost a little uncomfortable listening to it's it's kind of a little jarring like afterwards it's like uh, it just it's it's just like oh that like, <laughs> like that song was it was a lot to get through it took a lot out of me that's what I think that's why I love this song and you and I both came up in punk and we love I mean like Adam's package you're talking about like the king of weird synthesizer punk i don't know electro punk i don't know what you want to call it there's no good genre for it we know adamant's package let's just call it adamant's package uh that's the genre and um so we both are more uh kind of i mean i feel like people like this song people that know it but for you and i it's not that out of the box because we're used to abrasive stuff we're used to stuff that can make you a little uncomfortable and is supposed to we're used to mixing synthesizers with like a like dark songs and kind of in your face elements. Um, and we also love they might be giants. So uh, t- to me, this song rules, but I'm kind of curious to hear if we get, if I get any voicemails, two, two, four, eight, zero, one, two, nine, three, zero about uh, people that maybe love this song or hate this song. Maybe this is a very uh, divisive song. I don't, I don't know. Do you get a vibe from other fans about whether they like or hate the song? It's such a deep cut. I think I think it's 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 such an obscure track that I think you'd have to be kind of a really big fan to have ever really heard it. Like, yeah. um, I mean, despite like you know they had the contest and everything, but it was kind of like you know like that era right there was you know probably their their two I would say lesser selling releases probably. Yeah, like that like that was like. So like I think you know like at, at that point you had like the all, all the um, 
like the the big uh, like you know pop emo bands and that kind of stuff going on. Right, right. And I, I think you know like I and like the show attendances were down at least the, like you know the ones we had gone to, um, you know because in the nineties their shows are always packed to the walls and then it, you know it wasn't so much at that mid two thousand early two thousands. So I like I, right. I think it would be kind of. Um, I think you'd have to be kind of like, you know, not quite a super fan, but you'd have to be a really engaged fan to have actually really heard this song. Yeah. I'm I, interested I to it, know... Yeah, sorry, continue. Oh, I think if, if it was on a bigger record, I think it would it would be more of a point of contention. Like, yeah. as you get... Like, like, you know, the Man It's So Loud in here, I think there's a lot of people who hate that song because, you know... It's, <laughs> they're, they're insane. No. What I, I think, you know, I think... Mink Car is probably like the biggest controversial record of their of uh, you know of their fandom because I think it was they were still big enough where everybody bought that record. Yeah, and but then a lot of people were like, you know, what the hell is going on? Because I mean, like that, well, that that's one of their weirdest records. You know, you had the Mike the Mike Doty track. Yes, the okay. So Mr. Excitement is a big point of contention. Well, at least the vocal part of the fan base do not really like that song. I'm fine with it. I have no problem with it. And to me, Mink Car is their pink album for the new millennium. It is so bizarre. And if people don't like Mink Car, then they shouldn't like the pink album. I mean, fuck them. You know, pop songs to weird songs to pop songs to weird songs. Mink Car rules. And um, I should send you... You're not a Patreon subscriber. That's fine. I should send you the Great Mink Car Debate, which is two and a half hours of me and my friend... It was split into two <laughs> sections. Me and my friend Steve debating against Ger Samuel and Rich Jeffries, uh, both uh, Brits. Hmm. British people being evil? I never. Uh, we debated high school debate team style. Well, it fell apart. But we went through every track... Uh, not at the length that we do on a normal episode, but we went through every track and debated about it. We ended up coming to a pretty big agreement that it's a fucked up record, and for me, that's good. And for them, they're confused. So, basically, and then we took a vote on Patreon, and the pro Mink Car team won. So, how about them apples? Um, Mink Car rules. This man is so loud in here rules. Yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not, I'm not uh, a strong opinion about it at all. Do you not like Minkar? No, I'm, I'm very pro Minkar. Um, I think. Can, uh, can the, you release it on vinyl? <laughs> I, I, I I've definitely asked. They 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 got the rights back to it, and I, I've, nice. uh, I've I've hassled do uh, it. Do it. I've, I've hassled them a bit about it for a while, so who knows? Yeah, man, it would sell. Um, it would sell. Yeah. Oh, it's a it's a wonderful record. Like I. I as a giant soul coughing fan, I think the Mike Doty track is the weak point of the record, and it pains me to say that. But still, um, I like that they stretched out a little bit and did something weird. I just think they should have put it lower in the track listing. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think I think there's other records that would have fit better on. I don't know if it it, it flowed really well. Should have like, put that weird. on the EP and stuck "Am yeah. I Awake" on here. On, on, yeah, that on, would that would have made a lot more sense actually. You, you yeah. could open with "Am I Awake" on that record. Um, Man, yeah, "Am I Awake" would have fit great onto to Mink Car or onto the Spine. It would have made the Spine more interesting to me. The Spine is their worst record, just because it's so samey. It's like their pop rock record. You know, you got like "Stock of Wheat," which like is awesome because it's just like all of a sudden you're in this like old. Tin Pan Alley, old school jug band kind of thing. Uh, 
and a brass band and then the rest of them are just like really good like pop rock numbers they're like hey you remember boss of me we can do a whole album of those i mean come on I think, I mean, that was that weird era though i think what like a lot of bands that you and i grew up with kind of like um we're, we're trying to adapt to everything like you know music changed pretty drastically in that like yeah post uh you know like napster came in and killed lots of stuff yeah. And then, like, um, you had the the you had like this the reassert resurgence of like the, you know, um, the pop diva boy band kind of stuff was back <laughs> yeah. ruling everything. Yeah. And um, I mean, to to me personally, I think like that like the early two thousands was like one of the just the worst musical eras I've lived through. <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> you know what other great record came out on nine eleven though. Jimmy Eat World's Bleed American. Fantastic record for being like their biggest record is, uh, you know, the odds are against bands that their biggest record, biggest mainstream success record is also one of their best records. But in this case, they did it. I mean, between um, Clarity and Bleed American, I mean, fucking A. My, my, my band covers a praise chorus. I love that song. Oh, God. I've talked to... Uh, <laughs> God, so many tangents, man. You and I just have too much to talk about and we should do... Uh, we should just do like an exclusive episode to talk about uh, asbestos records more um, and just shoot the shit. But like uh, Davey Von Bolin actually coaches youth sports with my brother-in-law in, in short in Milwaukee. Um, and I've had him on Best Midwestern and I recently hooked up Jimmy Eat Pod, the song by song Jimmy Eat World podcast. I'm friends with those dudes and I hooked them up with Davey and he just did an episode with them about a praise chorus. So you should go listen to uh, Jimmy eat pod. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. That's so a, Dave, Davey's on that episode. Br- brilliant, brilliant song. <laughs> so good. And it mentions they might be giants. I mean, it's, you know, we, we, kept, we kept the topical there. Let's take a quick break to hear from one of our podcast friends. Hello person who probably doesn't already listen to my podcast. Obviously, this podcast, insert podcast name here, is phenomenal because you otherwise wouldn't be listening to it. But you haven't heard phenomenality, yes, that's a word, until you check out my podcast, The Dictionary, which you should definitely do as soon as this episode is done. In each episode, I read a handful of words in the dictionary along with their definitions, and I'll often add some of my personal thoughts to keep it a little bit more interesting. It can even be used as a sleeping aid. Episodes are family-friendly and short, about 10 to 15 minutes, and air every single day. So, if you're a word nerd, go check out The Dictionary, available on many podcast platforms. Uh, Are we ready for the cover section? What do you think? Yeah, we could do that. Nice. I found one cover on SoundCloud. Let's listen to this one, and then we'll get to the ones that you... You were one of my most awesome guests in that you, uh, without me even asking, I'm like, hey, did you happen to look up covers? I'm running out of time. Yes, I did, and sent me some links. So let me do this one I found on SoundCloud first. I didn't find any on Bandcamp. This one on SoundCloud, and I don't think it's a repeat. It's strange. I spread my stuff everywhere, but it's actually kind of rare to find covers where people have posted them on multiple platforms even though that's the smart thing to do uh in my opinion so am i awake they might be giants cover featuring andy sakura drums and percussion so um i have not even listened to this yet let's listen to it shall we bill dash kates on soundcloud okay now there's some sort of harp at the beginning here it's definitely not the um 
I forgot the name of it already. The Marxophone. But it's some sort of harp type instrument, and it sounds real to me. It doesn't sound like a keyboard. It almost sounds like a dulcimer. Yeah, some sort of weird plucked instrument, like old school plucked instrument. So then we get some live hi-hat. Some chiming keyboards coming in. It takes a minute and 30 seconds to even get vocals in here. It's very, even more evil sounding somehow. The guy does kind of a dramatic reading of it. Like some sort of evil genius is some sort of evil, like henchman is like. <laughs> that, that is definitely, the vocals are crazy on that. Yeah. I mean, what I love about it is that they clearly spent a lot of time on it. You know, I play a lot of covers on here that are just someone, you know, playing it live on YouTube. And I like that. You know, anyone who loves They Might Be Giants enough to get on the internet and be like, hey, here's my take on them is, is you know, super in my book. But this is like, this was a lot of work. And it says my recent, uh, my, my contribution to a recent TMBG covers compilation, but I don't know... Wait, let me see. Where is okay, oh, that, that must links? Be one of the ones on the um, the miscellaneous T group, I think. Yeah, but like I don't. There's no link to it. I don't know. I bet I could figure this out for later. But anyway, let's move on to the other covers. Uh, so you found three. Which one should we listen to first? Let's see here. Where's my message here? <clears throat> so let's see. We got a uke one um, by Mike Havnot, who I've played a bunch before. Uh, cover by Whippo. I don't know about Whippo. And then we've got an acoustic cover, another different guy named Mike, and a lady friend. Which one should we check out first? Let's see here. I think the, the Whippo one I think was pretty good. Well, we'll definitely play a little bit of all three little snippets. Why don't we save that one for last then? Let's do... How about the acoustic one with the uh, the dude and the gale doing it in uh, what looks like a home office or something? Let's check out that one. So Kayla Renee and her friend uh, Mike doing their cover with uh, looks like acoustic and some vocals. Let's check it out.
Very, very, very campfire sing-along style here. Which is cool to hear a song. I love hearing songs in a different form. Like hearing a guitar song, someone playing it on acoustic guitar. It's like, oh, okay. But hearing a song with no guitar on it, played by just a guitar, that's something. Let's listen to the ukulele one. We got uh, Mike Have Not, um, Palette Jacks, which... Wait, is this the same mic, just younger? Hold on a second. Because I went to... Okay, now I need to get to the bottom of this. It is. I think it's the same guy, but with less hair and on his top of his head and more hair on his beard. Uh, <laughs> goatee. Because we got... On the acoustic one we just watched, Kayla Renee's, um, there's a comment by The Palette Jacks eight years ago that says, I am putting on weight... How? And then I click over to the ukulele one, and it's the Palette Jacks. So this is the same Mike. He goes by the name Mike Have Not on Facebook. I've seen him post ukulele covers all over the place. So this is it's we're playing two by the same guy. That's okay. A much younger uh, Mike, and now uh, t- uh, 2017 Mike doing it on ukulele. Am I awake? What time is it? When I get through this day, can someone tell me how, and how much longer now, am I awake? The coffee's cold, did I forget to drink it yet, did I forget, my clothes are wet, I don't remember drinking it. When I get through this part, will the next one be the same? Will I be wandering if I'm... Well, he does a little finger-picked part on the coffee I'll part. Say he's killing it with the finger-picking there. It's a good job. Yeah, this dude's like, his specialty is ukulele these days. I need to check out the pallet jacks. Yeah, dude, I mean, over the past eight years, he has definitely honed his skills. And I, I dug the old one on guitar and the, the female vocals I dug as, as well. But this uke one, man, killed it. Let's listen to the Whippo one. So you said this was your favorite of the three? Alex M. Whippo and Diz is the YouTube channel. W-I-P-O-A-N-D. Diz, D-I-Z-Z. Hello, this is Whippo. How are you? I didn't want to leave jazz all alone on here. So here's a cover I made a while ago. I guess this is a guy's kind of jazz stuff uh, uh, YouTube channel. So here, this original is by They Might Be Giants, my favorite band, favorite with a U. So this is someone maybe a Canadian. Um, I recorded it using my piano, Yamaha P250 digital one, if you're curious, and my voice. I didn't edit the track after recording, mostly because I have no idea how. And uh, this is from 2012. So let's let's check this out. Alex M. Whippo and Diz. Am I awake? 
again My clothes are wet, I don't remember drinking it When I get through this part, will the next one be the same? Will I be wondering if I'm awake? He must have put a little delay on the piano to get that kind of effect like the the marxophone. Because the marxophone is essentially a tiny piano. But with metal hammers instead of the felt on the metal strings. So why were you saying that that was your favorite one? What do you like about it? I just I thought it was, it was very dark. I, I think it was even, a little even darker than the original. I think it was very yeah. good. Taking the the like jittery drum machine out of it, it really makes like it could. This song could have been a ballad. I don't think it would have been as good as the, if the original was a ballad. But hearing it as a ballad, it sounds fucking awesome. That was great. That was really really good. Um, yeah, thanks for finding those, Matt. Uh, I think it is time for us to score this song. Score it, score it. So uh, zero to ten, I will not accept a zero, and I know that's not what you're going to give it. But decimals are acceptable. Ranking it against the TMBG canon, what you personally think is a ten, and then where does this fall? I, I mean, it, it's definitely, um, it's definitely a top twenty. I think for me, hell yeah. Uh, I, I think it, it 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 loses a little bit just. You know, like when I think they might like they might be giant songs, you know, like the the top echelon of like you know the She's an Angel, New York City, like that kind of like like so- sound to it. But um, this one is such like an like an outlier, um, but I, I love it. It's you know that and you know like the uh, so loud in here. I mean, I definitely like you know solid eight point five or a nine. I would think. Yeah, dude. Uh, this is a rare occasion where I'm going higher than my guest. I'm going 9.7. I have always loved this song. It is so, so good. And just, like, I love the weirdest They Might Be Giant songs. And, you know, a lot of the weird ones means, like, oh, John Linnell is really into, like, doing microtonal stuff. Now, these little cluster chords and these, like, ones that are quarter tones, you know, in between what we Western people would call a scale, um, like this weird stuff like detuning, you know, and then you go way back to like chess piece face and boat of car and stuff like that. But this one like is still incredibly singable and incredibly melodic, but out there in its arrangement in that while they've always been pros with the drum machine, this is like a whole other level and getting the elegant two in on it maybe is why, like the fact that Flansburg's not on it doesn't mean it wouldn't have made a record. I'm coming across quite a few where one of the Johns is not on a track. You know, whatever best serves the track. And in this case, they thought no guitars. So I don't think that disqualifies it. But maybe the fact that the Elegant 2 is so heavily involved, whereas basically, like, this is like uh, just a collaboration. But I mean, it's called a They Might Be Giant song. And it is amazing. And it follows. The man, it's so loud in here thing, and I wish they would do more bump in tracks like this. Like, like you, you and I debated briefly about whether this would be considered dancey. Um, I mean, you could definitely tap your toe to it. It's not a ballad, 
Man, It's So Loud in Here is definitely a dancier dance club song. It's intended as such. So it's like parodying that. But this song, it's bumping. Like, it's got that sub bass. It's got, like, you know, top-of-the-line drum machine technology for 2004. And I want them to do more like this. Uh, I also want them to bring back their country pastiche, which they used to do all the time and not really anymore. I, I would um, definitely buy a record of, uh, of of songs that sounded like this. Fuck yeah, man. This is like, yeah, this is like... Um, hell, if we could get Adam and they might be trying to collaborate, like, I want to get... <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm digging him out of his uh, dad and teacher mode, his kids are teenagers. They can survive on their own. Send him out. Kick him out of the house. Dude, come on. Come back to music. Collaborate with TMBG for us. For me and Matt alone. There's this whole subgenre of bands that I love. You know, the Dead Milkman, They Might Be Giants, Adam and His Package, yeah. Frozen Stock, where you just had these brilliant musicians who could release a record with just anything on there. And there would be, you know, throughout an album, they would just be all over the damn place. And um, yeah. and I feel like if you like one of those bands, you, you really should love all of those bands. Yes, please. People who like They Might Be Giants, if there's any of those you haven't heard, I mean, the Dead Milkmen, like their sense of humor just perfectly aligns. They're a little bit more kind of, I don't know, is slapstick a, a term for, for music or just for movies? But they're a little bit more kind of out there and they're a little blue. Uh, especially in the 80s, but, like, the sensibility is there. They're definitely a punk band, you know. Musically, there's some overlap, but musically they're way more of a punk band. Jeff Rosenstock gets really hyper. Um, he's calming down a little bit in his old age, but um, bomb the music industry, super hyper, a little bit of ska, super awesome, a lot of synthesizers too, uh, horns, glockenspiel, cool instrumentation um his solo records are great as well and then uh what's the other one i'm missing what did, what was the other one you mentioned oh enemies package, uh, I mean, duh. package. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah uh i've yeah people have already heard me talk to adam goran twice about state songs uh some of the state songs and about see the constellation coming soon boat of car um so yeah so I'm I'm scoring this high, man. Nine point seven. I don't care. It's right below. Like I I I really really save up my tens. I even gave a nine point nine to Anna Ing, which people would think is sacrilege, but hell, it's like just what I like to me. It's not weird enough. <laughs> like I'm that. I got to be that stingy, man. Um, don't let start. I gave a nine, so I'm ranking this above. Don't let start. Now that probably I should have given higher than a nine. Um, that's just crazy now that I think about it. But that was a year ago. So. It's um, right up there with uh, I Palindrome I. It's it's I love it that much. Let's go nine point seven. Yeah. Uh, so Matt uh, asbestosrecords dot com. People should go there. Buy this dude's stuff. It's it's weird times out there, and um, you got to support your smaller bands, your smaller. Uh, record stores that are doing delivery or whoever, however they're surviving, and uh, the smaller record labels. So go buy some stuff there. Um, still got the the flood, uh, Apollo, and uh, John Henry. The John Henry's a two LP, right? I think we I think we might be out of those. I think I sold the last one of those the other day. I have to, well, you better update your site, man. I was just looking at it. I've got to dig around in the, in the basement here. <laughs> well, if there's one left, it's mine. <laughs> I will buy it from you. Uh, okay, so thanks so much, man. I got to sign off to do uh, the next episode. And, um, yeah, let's do another one sometime. 
Yeah, definitely. More, be more than happy to. Yeah, man, that was super fun chatting, uh, and nice. It always feels more like you're meeting someone, even though we're not in person. This is the best we can do in this uh, virus-riddled era: is talk uh, uh, on the phone and on video chat. So, uh, thanks, man. Cool. I'll talk to you soon, man. Yeah, man. Peace. Bye.